You must listen to this entire message before entering a selection. To accept this call, press 5. To refuse this call, hang up now. To block this call and all future calls, press 9. You may enter a selection now. episode five of to accept this call thank you for joining us episode five um before we even jump into what episode five is gonna entail how are you andrea what's up uh i'm doing good um an update on everything was Benjamin tested positive for COVID. Tested negative four times. Four times. And then on the fifth time, he tested positive, which is crazy because, I mean, he wasn't sick when him and Jake were roommates, even though Jake had tested positive. And then, you know, like he was in the cell, got put in a cell by himself, and was doing fine and then they put a recovered positive in with him and then that's when he became sick and it's just like great quarantine method guys it seems like the people who have tested positive and recovered from covid kind of get a little bit more privileges than the ones that haven't got it at all because they're trying to like delay all the negative people getting it so like jake got to go back to work um this past week because he was positive and he'd recovered but anybody who works at his workplace um that was negative still doesn't get to go back like they're still technically on lockdown and he they're all still technically on lockdown but yeah he at least gets to go back to work and like have some sort of sense of normalcy and today's jake's birthday and today's jake's birthday it's friday august 7th we're recording it he turned 28 years old today i know that there's probably better ways to be spending a birthday. But yeah, we thought oh, that because it's his birthday, it'd be a perfect opportunity to just talk about him all day long. And he was yeah. So tonight's episode is going to be Jake's story, which we're all probably been waiting for just to hear more about it. Because I don't really know his story too much. Like, I know that he has the same, like, charges as Ben, and that's pretty much the gist of it you know I don't know like a whole lot of details or you know what happened or who he was before yeah he went in and stuff like that so yeah it'll be exciting and then um by the time that everybody else is seeing this too Andrea's gonna have had her birthday yep on Sunday whopping friggin 33 years old um okay so before we even start talking about jake we got an email from oh yeah and i'm gonna read that and then we're just gonna give like a little bit of advice real quick because it's always interesting and i think it's important to know what's going on at other facilities so that we can either not repeat those mistakes or try to prevent them in any way we possibly could and just to like so people can hear the experience because it's important so absolutely Okay, so this email, again, and we always are confidential with emails. Like, we're not going to say your name. We're not going to give away any identifying information unless you, like, say, hey, this is important and you can say it. So I'll just start reading it. It says, 
I reside in California Central Valley. My boyfriend is currently in Pelican Bay, although I am thankful that specific facility has been able to maintain a low number of people who have been positive for COVID, especially because so many of the inmates there are much older men who have been there for years. Well, this last week, they finally tested men who had not been tested prior, my boyfriend being one of them. And what he told me was so upsetting. He told me that the nurse who was testing had not changed her gloves. Like, really, you're coming in contact with multiple people. That would be the first thing that you do. And then when my boyfriend told her that if she could please change her gloves before she did his test, she became upset. And then she told... um one of her coworkers to do the boyfriend's test because she couldn't deal with it, her words. Um, but apparently they're not allowing any of the men to receive their packages right now because of COVID. And then they put out another statement saying that they were not gonna be receiving them because of the staff being harmed while distributing the package. I think it's so unfair and I feel so helpless. So I wanted to ask you ladies how I can help and find out what is really going on. Thank you so much. I love your podcast and ear hustle is awesome. I listened to all the episodes. You girls will love it. So another ear hustle shout out too. Yes. Yes. It's so hard getting information from them regardless of COVID. And then, you know, now they have the added stress of COVID, you know, like the staff does, but you know, it's kind of like we talked about in the COVID episode and it's like they should have had an outline or guideline or protocol knowing that this is going to happen. And unfortunately, a lot of prisons aren't like the ones that, you know, our guys are in. They're a little bit more prisony. Yeah, that word, that's a good where way. They're a, little, they're, they're a little bit more hostile and where they do have like guys that maybe are lifers or have a long sentence and so they don't really care about the repercussions and so they might throw a little bit more of a fit you know than others might and so yeah maybe the guards are getting harmed but at the same time like that's your you know, the DOC's job to figure it out and how to take care of these guys who are in your care. You know what I mean? So that's really hard, like, to try to find out who and within the DOC you can trust. Um, I would say maybe reaching out, like, to the ACLU. Another um, area of opportunity for that that I've read up on before, I have no idea how to pronounce this word, so... Probably gonna butcher it, but the ombudsman is that? Um, yep, the ombudsman. Yep, ombudsman. Um, yeah, I read a little bit about that. They kind of deal with like they have like medical, and I did a little bit of research like on this specific facility just because I wanted to like look into it because I was like, what does she mean packages? So apparently, in some California prisons and probably other ones across the country, you can get you can send care packages through a specific company to your incarcerated loved one. Um, and that includes like food and hygiene and things like that. Like you have the opportunity to send that to them and like pick it out. And, you know, for some people, that's their only way of getting those types of things too. So when they're saying that they can't get those packages, that is really concerning. And there needs to be some sort of protocol to allow them to have those basic needs, in my opinion. So I think 
from what I've heard and like from what I've read, the ombudsman sounds like somebody that might be able to kind of address that, especially regarding mm -hmm. the nurse too, because that is a, that's a medical issue. Like that's, she needs to change her gloves and she should know that as a nurse, like that's, yeah, that's not good. Not good at all. No, so, hope that helps. Thank you for writing in. Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah. I it's hard too because like you know every place is so different but these are like the channels that you know i've heard of people having success with are following like the aclu and you know even just like being loud on social media sometimes too will help where you're like listen up like this is not happening you know and if you get enough yeah they're like oh shit, we don't want our name to be tarnished like that out here so and that's another thing i would do too is Get on like Facebook or even Instagram or Twitter and just like hashtag search, um, you know, Pelican Bay prison to see if there's other people out there, you know, like um, the more people you can have like the same stories, then you guys can collectively go and say, hey, I'm not the only one that's dealing with this. Like here's. 15 other women who are having the issue too so sure. um, kind of like a power is the numbers thing so reach out and see if there's any kind of like Facebook group that is specifically to that specific prison update and tell yeah. us what happens please 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 absolutely absolutely okay I have a whole Google document that I had to write down to talk about Jake because um it he's a lot you know just in general so like let's start at the very beginning august 7th Jake was born august 7th. yeah <laughs> and his social security number no i'm just kidding um <laughs> yeah he was born august 7th in waterloo which is like a it's not a small town in iowa but it's a small town in general um mm -hmm. his mom her name is Kristen, and his dad's name is mike uh they were never married and Jake wasn't really close with his dad growing up. Um, he tells me that he only has like three memories of his dad total. Uh, he was a drug addict and an alcoholic. So um, that's really tough, you know. I would say his upbringing was like as pretty normal. Like it wasn't, he wasn't like super wealthy. He wasn't in poverty or anything, but he was raised by a single mom. So like all of the struggles that kind of come with that. But something I think that's, like, super worth noting in, like, the exposition of Jake's story and, like, of Jake's life. Um, so when he was eight, and I, for the record, too, I told him I was doing this. I was like, is there anything you don't want me to talk about? Like, yeah, is, yeah. is there anything that's, like, kind of off limits? And he is such an open book. Um, so, yeah, he was like, no, just say whatever. Like, I don't care. So, um, and Jake's an only child, too. That's something that I kind of brush over he's an only child and he's a leo so like take that however you want to take it oh i know yeah i was like an only <laughs> child and the leo hmm, so that just encompasses him as a person i could literally stop yes. the podcast there and that's everything you need to know about. and that's all you need to know about jake, <laughs> <That's> jake. <laughs> but he is, like he's the leoest leo i've ever met honestly like that's hilarious yeah but Okay, back to his dad. So, um, when, J when Jake was eight years old, um, his dad was arrested on first-degree robbery charges, and he was booked into the Benton County Jail, and, you know, obviously, 
10, 11 years later, Jake was going to be arrested for the exact same thing on first degree robbery charges. So that's an interesting parallel. Um, yeah. Happened. And Jake, again, he wasn't close with his dad. So he doesn't really have any feelings or opinions on like when his dad was arrested. Like While his dad was awaiting trial and like, it was only a matter of a couple days after he'd been arrested, he ended up killing himself inside of the jail. Um, and yeah, so, uh, I remember Jake told me that his mom came and picked him up from school and he didn't really know what was going on. And she just like pulled over on the side of the road and told him and she was crying and he was just, again, they're not close. So he didn't really know what to think. Um, yeah, but yeah. And one of the only memories that Jake has of his dad, which I think is really like fascinating to me, just from a psychological perspective, um he wanted to tell this story like at his dad's funeral uh but he was like too scared to get up and do it he's also eight years old so um yeah yeah the story was that his dad like one time he gave him like a padlock that Jake had up until he went to prison he gave him a padlock and he told him that if anybody ever messes with him, to put the padlock, hold it, like, and put it around his fist, and then, like, deal mm-hmm. with it. I was like, okay. You know, at eight years old, or I don't even know when that... Yeah. Happened. Conversation happened. Yeah. Kind of, like, how his dad thought to handle situations, it seems, and he wanted to pass that on to his son. That's insane. And then, so he, obviously, Jake was, like, growing up, his mom... um his mom, like, got remarried to Ron when Jake was, like, 13 or 14. He'd already started getting in trouble, like, smoking weed, partying, drinking, and he would get in trouble a lot for stealing, just, like, mm-hmm. always boosting like, stuff. And he, the first, he'd been arrested, like, a couple times in juvenile, like, got in trouble, but at 16 is when he first got arrested for a felony, for felony robbery, him and and this isn't even the thing that sent him to prison. This is before he even all this happened. Um, him and some buddies were gonna go buy weed from some guy, and it was like the middle of winter. And they they met him behind an elementary school, and the dude's car ended up like getting stuck in the snow. And so the guys went over there to try to like help him get out of the snow, and they were like pushing him and trying to, you know, help him out or whatever. But the whole time they knew that they were intending to like steal from him to like steal his weed and his money, (laughs) but they were still trying to help him. I'm like, doesn't make sense to me, but apparently it, they eventually collectively all just said like, you know, fuck it. And we're like, all right, we're going to take your stuff now. So they did. Um, someone had a gun there at the scene, but there were no bullets in it is what Jake told me. Um, but he ended up getting caught and he got probation as well as a suspended 10-year prison sentence for first-degree theft. Um, so he he got what he calls a slap on the wrist. Like, he did not get in that much trouble. He didn't have a whole lot of accountability for that. And then, so he was still, like, living that life, doing things that he shouldn't have done the whole time because, like I said, like, he didn't learn his lesson and he got this slap on the wrist um and he thought like for lack of better terms he thought he was invincible he thought he could do whatever you know he's a young guy a leo only child what am i trying to say i don't know (laughs) but um, (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah. But in March of 2010, he had um, a daughter. His daughter was born, Aaliyah. And him and his baby mama were, like, not together. And it was a big accident and everything. Um, he always tells me, he's like, she wasn't supposed to catch my seed. I'm like, okay. <laughs> yeah. So Aaliyah was born. And then not long after. So this is the case that he caught his case on and is now in prison for. On New Year's Day of 2011, him and two of his buddies at the time, they knew of this drug dealer who lived in Cedar Falls um, that was going to be out of town with his girlfriend on New Year's. So they were going to break into his house and steal like his weed and his money. So they went in to the house because they um they didn't expect them to be home but then when they got there they found out that they were in fact home um and they had also already dressed in all black and fashioned like ski masks on their face and that was something that kind of like caught jake up in court because they were like well if you didn't intend to like rob people why did you do that you know um and the way that jake explained it to me is that it was a duplex so they didn't want to be seen by the other people that occupied the other side of the duplex because it was never intended to be more than just like a minute thing you know it was like an in and out yeah. let's do this whatever yeah yeah so they got inside um they <laughs> apparently flipped a mattress on top of john and amanda and like told them to stay down and apparently somebody else had a gun. It wasn't Jake. Jake's job was to go and get the money and the weed and, like, actually get it. Um, mm -hmm. And then the other two, I guess, were there for, I don't know what they were there for. I don't know how all that stuff works, but. Moral support. Yeah, moral support. <laughs> Jeez, yeah. Um, no, so they stole, um, yeah, so they stole drugs, they stole money, and then they took a cell phone from them, which was actually the thing that got them caught, because the cell phone had GPS on it, and so Amanda, she used her computer to track it, and then let the cops know, so they got caught pretty quickly, and then they were booked. I want to iterate, too, that I don't think that what they did was right in any way, shape, or form, but at the same time, no. nobody was hurt. They were dealing with illegal activity with illegal activity, like, like, he took illegal drugs and illegal money from somebody who obtained it because it was illegal, you know? So it's, like, mm -hmm. that's just interesting for me to fathom. And I understand that, like, no physical damage was done. And I'm sure that it was super scary. Like, nobody deserves that. But at the same time, it's a drug crime. Yeah. And my, okay, my take on it, too, is, and, you know, I'll talk about this in Ben's story, too. It's, like... I don't know if the guy that, like, Jake robbed was, like, a known drug dealer, but, like, they're drug dealers. It's not surprising that they get robbed. Yeah. The whole town is buying weed and other drugs from them. It's like, duh, you know? Yeah. So did everybody on Jake's case get charged with first-degree robbery then? No. So him and... Christian is the other one both have first degree robbery and then John Trell I don't think he might have beat the robbery case he might have got like theft or burglary because he was only sentenced to 15 years I want to say um and he's already out 
So they all had equal parts in it from what I'm understanding, but mm-hmm. not equal sentencing. And the thing too, that to know is that with like, with the charge that Jake got a first degree robbery in the way that his crime was committed of robbing a drug dealer of weed and money, um, it carries the same weight in the court of law as if, you know, somebody were to break into an eight-year-old woman's house, strangle her, steal her purse, like beat the crap out of her. And it's the exact same thing in the eyes of the law. But to me, I'm like, those are two very different things. It's weird how crime can have morals, but it does. And it's the thing too that you were saying about being like him being a known drug dealer, this guy named John. It's actually really interesting because John's dead now because he, um, he was eluding from the police on a motorcycle and he crashed into a tree and he died like a couple of years ago. Yeah. In a sense, you could probably like compare the guys' crimes to like olden day, like mobs, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like just crime on crime, not really like hurting society necessarily. You know, you're not, like you said, not hurting any like old ladies or kids or anything like that you're it's like a situational thing you know exactly like he was engaged in a lifestyle that traditionally warrants other crimes you know it's a dangerous lifestyle if you're living a dangerous lifestyle you're gonna have elements of danger you know this is weird to me to think about too he was a senior in high school when this happened he was still in high school when he committed his crime like that, that is, is wild. Yeah. And so he got booked into Blackhawk County Jail. And for most of the time that he was in jail, like seven or eight, like he was in jail for a year. And for seven or eight months out of that, he was in solitary confinement the whole time. Like the whole time. For what? As an eight-year-old kid. Because he he was really angry. He was always trying to fight the cops. Okay. Like a minute too. Yeah always trying to fight the cops. He did twice. Um, he was so threatening. He's like, I'll shoot everybody up in here. And that's like so scary to me to hear. And so weird because that's not him. You know what I mean? Like, right. Right. But that's, I didn't know him, you know? So it's hard to, for me to put myself back there to be like, but I, I knew people like him, you know, I can, I can mm-hmm. imagine the type that he was, but looking at him today, I'm like, that's not him. And keep in mind too, like his family, I'm sure was freaked out because of the situation with his dad dealing with the exact same charges, you know, like that must, that must've been so scary to even. Do you think that one of the first questions I had earlier that popped up in my mind was, do you think that like, if his dad um, didn't kill himself and went on with like, the sentencing that that would have kind of helped detour Jake onto like the right path or do you think that it was kind of like monkey see monkey do like my dad can handle it I can handle it type of thing you know what I mean I don't know it's like it's hard too because it wasn't like his parents were together I don't know I'll have to ask him that question too because I don't that's a good question I don't know (laughs) I would, you would hope so, you know, you would hope that being it would be like, fuck, I don't want to have anything to do with that kind of life, but, right, yeah, but I'm sure, too, that, like, him being in Blackhawk County Jail, him having all these issues, and I'm sure his family was hearing about it, were like, oh, my God, Jake is not in a good place, like, hope, you know, I hope it doesn't 
go too far or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, And so like, because of these circumstances, during his trial, he had to wear like a belt around. He was in handcuffs. He was bolted to the floor. Like he was treated like he is so crazy. Like yeah, (laughs) I know. I laugh. I laugh not because like it's funny that he it like had to do that. I laugh because I think of seeing him in the visiting room and like the person that he is, and he's goofy and he jumps around and he's like. A wild this little man. dude, and, like, he was the, just like this little, like, yeah, yeah, like. And so, for him to like, for me to think of him as being aggressive is like hilarious in my mind. I'm sure that to the jury, too, like, they're like, oh my god, this guy, like, holy buckets, you know, that's a scare tactic in a sense. And they don't, yeah, they don't usually do that in court because of that, you know, but they really, they really deemed him as a risk. So, yeah, kind of scary. The trial happened, obviously, and he was found guilty of first degree robbery, burglary, and he has like a possession of a controlled substance charge on there, too. And because he had that suspended prison sentence that gave him 10 years, and he got 25 years for the rest of it, which could serve concurrently, which means that like, he's accruing time for all of it. It doesn't have to go, you finish this one, and then you have to do the next one, and then you have to do the next one. That's good, yeah. So he technically was sentenced to 35 years at the age of, he was 19 by then when he got sentenced. So. And at the sentencing too, his judge, Judge George Stigler is what I remember. I, Cause I looked him up. I was like, I got to write this judge and have him help me. Um, his judge too said even that like, that his hands were tied and he couldn't do anything about it. He knew that Jake needed to go to prison, but he did not need to go to prison for this long and that he was really like sorry that he couldn't do more about it because you know we kind of talked about this too with mandatory sentencing it takes away all control from the elected officials that we have you know said should be you know this what am i trying interpreting their yeah like their discretion exactly it takes all the power away from them and you know somebody who could have like who's who sees what prison could do to somebody, like, and is able to interpret that, like, they don't get a say in it, which is dumb. Judges mostly hate it because it doesn't give them any power or both, you know, it's good and bad for people because, like, people like Ben and Jake, who rob drug dealers, have to do twenty a maximum time of 25 years. Um... But then there's scenarios where, for example, um, this girl in my hometown got, it's a whole mess thing, but she got raped at gunpoint and the guy who raped her got the same amount of sentencing as Ben and Jake got 25 years with 70%. So he only has to do 17 and a half years. And it's like, it can be bad too. It's like, if the judge had more power behind it, he could, the judge could have given him life in prison or 75 years. But since there's a mandatory minimum attached to even like sexual assaults in Iowa, they have to give him that, which a lot of times is bad. They see these things all the time, you know? And I think that a lot of judges are intuitive in the sense that they can see 
like a person, you know, they can tell when somebody's faking it, they can tell if they're being honest, they know, you know, they see all of this all the time, you know, um, and then one lawmaker can come in and decide like, oh, I don't like people that rob people. That's too mean. We're going to impose this here, you know, and they don't have to do yeah. it every day. You know, they don't get to see the the inner workings of it. I feel so weird when either he talks cavalierly about it or, you know, I'm starting to talk more cavalier about it because I do think it's a very serious thing. I want to make that so clear Ooh. that like, I think it's serious, but just kind of the things that we were talking about, I also can kind of view it from all perspectives. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, so Jay goes to prison and he still has his one-year-old daughter. She's not even one year old. His daughter um, left behind. Uh, and he, he literally said, told me that he had no idea what to expect when he got to prison. The only thing that he knew was like TV and movies about prison. And as we know, they're not accurate at all. Like, he thought it was going to be freaking Shawshank. And so he had like some money that he had stacked up from whatever it was. Um, and he told his mom to send him all of his money because he was convinced that he was going to have to stab someone. And he was going to have to like show him who was like boss or I don't know what he thought. Like he was going to. He's like, if anybody tries me, like, I'm, I'm going to get him or whatever. That was his mentality back then because he didn't know what to expect. Um, is Fort Dodge the first prison then he was at? No, he went to Newton okay. first. He did five okay. years at Newton. Mm -hmm. After that five years, the Department of Corrections decided that Newton was going to only house sex offenders. Um, yeah. Like a sex offender camp so that they could all complete their treatment. So he had to get moved out to a different one and he could have either gone to Clorinda or he could have gone to Fort Dodge and he picked Fort Dodge because of the opportunities that they have there which he has like 100% capitalized on um but while he was in Grinnell or in Grinnell while he was in Newton he did some really good things like they did a Grinnell college liberal, liberal arts program where you can um it was like as many people could apply as they want and then they would narrow it down to 40 people who once you took like an entry test and you wrote an essay, they would decide. And then you had to go do interviews with like the board or the people that were in charge. And they had 15 people, they narrowed it down to 15 people. So Jake got picked out of those hundreds of people that applied to be in the Grinnell liberal arts program. So he was able to, um, yeah, he was able to get 60 credits worth of college credits at Grinnell. Um, they initially had started it and said that they were only gonna have him do like 20 to 30 or something like that but Jake was like I don't want to stop so he talked to the program manager and was like can we like we need to keep doing this like I want to keep doing it and so then he was able to get 60 so that was really cool that's awesome good yeah and then when he got to Fort Dodge he was like he was in like this school kick I guess still too and so he went to Iowa Central got his AA and he got a 4.0 average like the whole way through like, I didn't know he was smart like when you talk for him, you would not expect it. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm, so glad. I'm so glad he does not get to hear this till like. Right. <laughs> but seriously, like, um, yeah, he got his AA, and then he started doing like tutoring. Um, he would mentor other people. Uh, like, the they have like people that have special needs that are incarcerated, which I never knew that either. Um, oh yeah. And he would mentor <laughs> them, which is oh, that's crazy. We can talk about that probably another time too. Yeah. Um, 
but he sets up like all the sporting events. He's on the Relay for Life committee. Um, they fundraise every year. They give like $6,000 to cancer research. He volunteers with like the veterans group and like special Olympics and that he does the leader dog for the blind program where they get to like train dogs in prison that eventually get shipped out to be seeing eye dogs for people. So that's really cool. That's like my favorite part. I hope they get them back, you know, cause since I shipped them all out and then they had cats too. Yeah. Uh, they shipped all the animals out cause of COVID but they were allowed to bring them into the visiting rooms. And it was just like the best part when you yeah. saw dogs. It's so fun, it's too, because, like, it gives them a sense of responsibility and, like, something to take care of, too, which is nice, because that's just another way to transition you back into the real world. Um, what else has he done? He's done, he's done so much. Like, it just really, it amazes me, honestly. He does, he's doing his carpentry apprenticeship right now. Um, he finished all the book work for it, and he's done, like, 3,000-some hours, because that's what he really, like, cares about, is doing woodworking stuff. He really wants to... Um, continue with that when he gets out of prison he loves to do it make like cabinets desks shelf like anything you can think of he loves to make it so that's cool um it's a good yeah. like skill trade to have for sure and I like I like that about um Fort Dodge and some of the other prisons too is that they really do I think like give them those kind of opportunities to learn the skills like welding and you know the the technical jobs that are kind of in more demand out here mm -hmm. like I really think they do a good job of yeah. providing them with those opportunities. Oh, my favorite part. So in June of 2019, so like a year and some change ago, uh, he submitted his commutation to the parole board and to the governor that was over like 200 pages long. I got to read it. Um, that just talked about like his accomplishments, written statements from like himself, his loved ones, like support letters. He started a petition that had like 1,300 support signatures that, you know, were in support of him returning to society. Um, but I think kind of what we talked about earlier too, one of the most important parts is that he was able to get quite a few names of staff from Fort Dodge that would be willing to write support letters from him. However, the institutional guidelines prevent them from actually writing it unless specifically requested from the parole board or the governor. And I think it might just be due to favoritism or something like that. They don't want to show favoritism sure. among the incarcerated. Yeah. So, but if at any time, like the governor or the parole board wanted to reach out to like the employees of the facility and be like, what's the scoop on Jake? Like, these are the people that can tell him, like tell them that because they see him every single day. They know what he's about. They see the way he acts, the way he, like, is with other people. I think that would be great if somehow that was, like, part of, you know, like, paroles or just anything to let the, especially, like, the CEOs, like, and staff members, to let them voluntarily like be like hey yeah I'm gonna write this little you know ditty about Jake and how great he is and send it off and be like he doesn't you know he doesn't need to be here anymore man yeah. get him out yeah they really just like when it comes to parole a lot of the time they just look at people on paper like they see has he had any major reports 
Has he, you know, been in the hole? Has he done this, that? Like, did he get his treatment done? Everything like that. And then it's the counselor and the facility that are like, oh, because of these things, we recommend him for release. But they don't look at, like, the actual person. They just look at, like, things. You know what I mean? And for the record, too, Jake has literally only been in the hole one time since he's been in prison. Yeah. So I'm like, that's kind of good. Proud of him, which, yeah, again, didn't need to stab anybody after all. Yeah. <laughs> You'll have to make fun of him when you see him next time and be I like, I thought you were going to Shawshank this bitch. Like, <laughs> next time I'm in the vestibulum, I'll be like, don't Shawshank me. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but he'll love it. He'll totally get it. <laughs> um, yeah. So, yeah, no, he hasn't gotten in trouble and he, like, from what I've heard, and I could be wrong, he could definitely be lying to me the whole time, but, like, everybody, it seems like, thinks that Jake is a good guy, and that he deserves, you know, this opportunity to come out, so we're hoping, and, like, just pleading that the governor will see it, the the board of parole will see it, and, um, you know, grant him this commutation, if worst comes to worst, yeah, if worst comes to worst, his mandatory minimum is up on July 2nd of 2028, so, eight more years which barring any you know legislative changes or anything like that so and that's really interesting too because you and Ben got together when he had about eight years left so now he's at you know four-ish right like four yeah 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 me and Jake got together when he has eight years left so it's like that's a good time it is kind of cool right yeah yeah that is interesting yeah so I mean he's just like super ready to be out you know I mean as you can imagine like he feels so bad that he's like left his family left his daughter he has missed 10 years of her life he really doesn't want to miss anymore um he wants to do so many things like before he turns 35 is when he would get out so he's like I want to get all this done before I'm like an old man and I can't do it anymore yeah not saying 35 is old but like he's just like I'm just ready you know he's just antsy and he's ready and he knows that like he knows that he prison is wasted on him you know because he could be one of the most productive members of society in my opinion um he has so many big dreams and he has the resources the support the tools to achieve those too so absolutely yeah that's pretty much the present situation um just kind of like in limbo with everything uh the governor and the board of parole halted all commutation proceedings just because of covid but it's like Oh, fine. What does that mean? Like, I don't know. So again, we're just waiting, kind of a waiting game all the time. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. And I mean, too, like another thing is that, and I'm going to shamelessly plug here too, but like there are, he can still add to his commutation like throughout this whole process. So like if there's anybody <laughs> that is interested in or wants to like right just like a little something for support like if you know me or if you know him like and you're watching this or even if you know if you're just like man I think that that's bad sentencing like he deserves a second chance like write to me I'll hook you up with like what to do we can work on it together he would appreciate it like so much you know and I'm not asking for it but if you feel compelled like and if you feel like you know you are, like if you feel like I do a little bit crazy and frustrated about it like channel it productively for us please because that would be awesome just all the support that he can get like in his re-entry is gonna look great he has like two he has a um 
a certified like employment ver verification, which is something that the parole board really looks at is like, do you have housing? Do you have a job lined up? Do you have this, that, and the yeah. other? And he has all of that. He could get out of prison tomorrow, walk into this place called Gray Transportation in Waterloo and get a job. I mean, like, it, it's just like crazy how they're, they're already like set up to come home, except for their sentencing. It's like, mm -hmm the one thing that's stopping them yeah <laughs> i know it's a lot to unpack and then i have one little last bit too because i have to yeah, shout out i have to shout out to my friend kelly my friend kelly we went to middle school and i think a little bit of high school together um we were pretty close friends i haven't talked to her in quite a while um but she reached out and was like i listened to your podcast i had no idea about jake like wow i'm really intrigued and she sent me like this long list of questions and i was like Heck yeah. I was so excited. I was like, yes, yeah. yes, yes. Cause it makes me happy to like, and it helps us understand too, that like, sometimes we need to explain certain things cause we're so used to it. That they don't yeah. realize this. Um, so I picked out just like three little questions that are pertinent to kind of what we were just talking about. And yeah. then the rest of them, I think that we can probably just disperse them throughout the next few episodes. Yeah, um, let's do it. Yeah. Has Jake ever reflected on his crime? And if so, what did he express? What did they express, Jake and men? Um, for Jake, anyways, he's definitely reflected on it. He has spent 10 years reflecting on it. And his whole consensus is that he was stupid. And we even talked about it again tonight. He's like, I was dumb. Thought I was invincible. Couldn't get in trouble. Just dumb. He just knows that it was dumb. And I always ask him, too, like, what changed inside of you that, you know, you wouldn't do it again? And he's like, I don't know. And he doesn't know. And I think that that's acceptable. I think that's an acceptable yeah. answer because sometimes you just mature and sometimes you just grow up and you realize what's important. And I really think that he's done that. So he has reflected yeah. on it and we've all come to the consensus that he was stupid, shouldn't have done it, and he's never going to do it again. And if he does, bye. That's all I have to say. Yeah, yeah no, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, Ben has definitely reflected on it. You know, I he spent some time in the hole quite a bit <laughs> um which we'll get there you know but um I don't know like I know he regrets it I know he's like sad and mad and upset and he's that it happened and everything went down the way that it did I mean he's been in prison for 13 years and it has worn him down he would he always tells me he's like I could never do this ever again nor would I like he would want to but just that time that he has to do is like ungodly yeah like it's so unbearable to him and then just you know like he tells me too about the people not like Jake and his friends but the other people that are in there that he is like forced to be around. He's like, I don't want to ever have to be around these people again. Like, he calls them bottom of the barrel. He always says, he goes, I'm with the bottom of the barrel. Bottom of the barrel. He hates it. Yeah. So. Uh, and final question. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah. Do your parents, friends, family visit or talk to Jake and Ben? Um, and again, we kind of discussed this a little bit like with you and yours because it's been a long time that you and Ben have been together and known each other. Um, but for me anyways, my sister and my mom have talked to him on the phone, like when we've been on the phone together. And my mom said the other day, it was kind of a 
interesting to me. She goes, so like, how would I go about like meeting him? I was like, oh, mom, you want to meet him? I was like, you want to like, yeah, I was like, you want to go visit? Like, and she's like, well, yeah, I want to meet him at some point. I was like, but you would go like to prison to go meet him? (laughs) She was like, yeah. I was like, oh, good. Okay. So I told him that and it made him really happy. It made me pretty happy too that she was. Good. That's awesome. And I made fun of her because I was like, mom, you're not going to know what to do. Like you're so, she's such a square. And I was like, she's probably going to try to bring like snacks and whatever. And she's going to be like, let's pack a little like lunch. She would too. She'd be just like that. Or she'd like, and she's single right now too so I mean maybe she'll get some looks or whatever I'm <laughs> just kidding <laughs> but the, the, the thing you know, they'll be like Jake yo who's that girl that was with you and he'll be like yeah that's Savannah my girlfriend no 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 I know her the <laughs> other one yeah and like that's her mom tell her mom I said what's up <laughs> you know it will happen like it will absolutely it, it will. in one way or another but yeah so she's excited about that um I try to keep my sister away from him like that sounds really bad but she's just so weird like she's the weirdest person ever but they get along fine and she always she's just too like gung-ho about him I think that I'm just like chill out lady like she's gonna scare yeah. me away. so that's it oh. but yeah yeah my mom got on Ben's visiting list like right before COVID happened so we didn't have a chance but um she like talks to him they talked on he called me and sometimes he'll be like where's mom at and I'm like she's out here and then I let them talk and next thing I know Brenda pops up and then she's 20 or one minute remaining I'm like you stole my whole freaking phone call your mom like what the heck and she like he has her number um just in case for like emergencies he has like my brother's numbers hopefully he'll never have to use them but like just in case yeah so my family talks to him they love him so my brother like Seth will like talk about oh when he gets home like when he gets out when he comes home like I'll have to show him this or talk to him about this and I'm just like I just love that you know yeah because my family is like everything to me so to know that they like love Ben just as much as I do is like Okay, so I guess that wraps up this episode. Everything, Everything about Jake. That was a lot. No. Getting it all out on But me. what I want to know now from, like, listeners, subscribers, mm-hmm. is if they have any questions after you telling Jake's story, if they have any questions for you about his story or his sentencing or – him growing up or him being in you know just like everything we talked about if they have any questions about that so if there's like anything that you know like you that listeners think that like you missed or Mm -hmm. wasn't like you know clear on or anything like that then definitely let us know and she can explain more yeah, and then we can kind of also use that as a guiding thing for you talking about Ben, too, so that people can understand, yeah. you know, we can make sure that we cover it all, because there are lots of questions, you know, we all have questions, and, um, like, that's the point of the podcast, too, is to be open and honest and vulnerable about these kinds of situations, because they're real life, and they're happening, and it's important, so, yeah, mm-hmm. write in, write in, uh, our Gmail is 
to accept this call at gmail.com, Twitter, Instagram, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, everything like that to accept this call. Um, Except for Twitter, it's just accept this call. Yes, yes, I always forget that one. But it's all, it's all, it's, you can it's all on it. Yeah. <laughs> you, you're smart people, you know. You got, yeah, for sure. And happy early birthday, Andrea. Thank you. Yeah, and then we'll see you guys next week. Next week for Ben's story. Yeah. And it's probably just going to be as crazy. So, <laughs> okay, bye. Bye.